Sorry, my, my voice is a little hoarse. I... Mine too. Um, yeah, buddy. <laughs> oh my butt. gosh! Yep. Yeah, yours is! I can hear it! <laughs> We're Too all much turning, singing. turning into Buddy Hackett. Or Aquafina. She's got kind of a raspy oh, voice. God, I can't um, wait to talk about this movie. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I could say we are in the Thodcast right now. Uh, conversations about animation on this, the new film from Disney. Not Disney Animation, but Walt Disney Pictures. Uh, the Little Mermaid 2023. So today I'm excited to be joined. This is Philip Elke, by the way, the host of the Thodcast up in northern Minnesota. And we have our um, esteemed the Little Mermaid expert joining us today, um, Laura Akal. Hey, how are you, Laura? Hey, how's it going? It's good to see everybody. I'm so excited to talk about. I love talking all things Ariel, honestly, but this will be especially fun as it's super relevant at the moment. <laughs> and we have the queen bee of all things princesses, Jody Pulaski's back on the show. Uh, so thank you both of you for joining me. I know you probably both have lots to say on this topic, Ariel, the Little Mermaid, uh, things that made me want to gag when I was a little petulant, obnoxious child, uh, but have since come around to appreciating the the quality of just real, real impressive mainstays of our film canon as a, as a society. Um, the, the social cultural impact of um, The Little Mermaid is such that now we have this direct remake, this adaptation in a different medium of the original that came out in 1989. Um, it's still a musical. It's, it's significantly longer, but I think the the music kind of justifies the length, the added songs and such, added sequences. Um, but yeah, I, I do, I'm desperate to hear um, your y'all's thoughts. Uh, Lara, let's start off with you. Yeah, you know, this was first announced in 2016, and there was the only thing we had heard at the time was that there was going to be a live action. And I think the first thing that they announced was that Lin-Manuel Miranda was going to be involved right kind of off the tails of Hamilton. And me being a huge musical theater person, having just seen Hamilton around that time as well, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, I'm here for this. And he's a huge Little Mermaid fan. He named his son Sebastian after Sebastian. He used to like make films as a kid and use like the score of The Little Mermaid. And I, I think uh, Alan Menken knew him as like a young boy as well while he was like in school around that time. So they have stories together. It's it's very interesting how Little Mermaid has been a part of his world in a way. So when it was first announced, I was like, all right, yeah, I had a million thoughts in my head. I'm like, who's going to play this character? I hope they do sort of an uh, a casting like an unknown or somebody who's not super established already that was like my main thing i was hoping they would get somebody with a beautiful voice just from an audition and turns out they did that you know with hallie and i was like yeah she has everything that i want to see in ariel so when she was announced i was like this makes perfect sense so yeah <laughs> that was my initial reaction and then once i've seen it i have like a million thoughts going into that as well um as somebody who knows the original film like i I could just sit here and recite it to you like I know all this like the script here and everything but I really I really like what they did to it to be honest like I I would watch it again I have watched it twice already okay, now yeah. so I I've, I've been enjoying it like I know a lot of people have had ifs and lots of different thoughts in the fandom outside of the fandom 
but I, for one, I'm really liking it so far. So yeah. Yeah, um, sometimes the, I don't know, the necessity of a movie like this gets called into question, but um, the the princess remakes have so far been pretty successful at the box office, at least. So uh, they'll probably keep giving them to us <laughs> um, as long as they sell. Uh, uh, but yeah, reactions to this so far have been kind of positive. You know, there's all the, you know, always, always going to be trolls, but so far it seems generally positive. But yeah, Jody, uh, what did you think? No, this was the first remake that I felt like nervous about. I think because I didn't really care so much about Cinderella or Aladdin or like those weren't my favorite movies growing up. I was sort of more like, oh, I'll watch them. I hope they're good. But this in particular, I was like, please be good. Please be the best movie I've ever seen i need to relive this in my 30s because like i i was the one rewinding that vhs i was the one like singing ariel's part in the bathtub like this one was in my blood so i was nervous about it not something in particular not even like casting or music or you know the animation i don't know i just wanted it to all meld and feel really cohesive and i just wanted to feel like at home with this movie like i I didn't want any like huge surprises, I guess, like, but I also wanted to be like blown away. I don't know how to explain it, but I've seen it once and I feel like it measures up in the world of remakes. You know, I put a lot of pressure on myself for this one. I think I really like oversold it to myself. I think the casting was right. I think the music was right, but there are some things where I was sort of like, huh. And, and maybe I need to let it soak in because sometimes you watch a movie, even when I saw Frozen 2, it was the second time I watched it that I really felt like, all right, that is perfect. So I'm, I am going to go see it a second time um, just because working in the industry that we do, it's important, I think, to, to check out all the details. And there are so many details in this I'm sure I didn't catch. But yeah, this is the first remake where I was like, fingers crossed, please. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I would see this again. It was pretty impressive. I mean, the music was well uh, executed. And, and uh, I don't know, Rob Marshall, he did uh, Mary Poppins Returns, um, the Into the Woods film. Um, he injects a fair amount of humanity, or at least the, the films he directs seem to have um at least compelling characters and performances i, I think he also did the pirates of the caribbean <laughs> four um that was the at, not um at world's end but um the one on, stranger, kind of tides. on yeah. stranger tides with the mermaids so that was perfect oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah and i like mm -hmm. that kind of subplot it, it was sort of cheesy the little love story with the sailor and uh, he was he was like a, a missionary and and the uh uh, mermaid uh, but I don't know it, it injected a certain humanity a certain pathos to that film that otherwise seemed kind of like just a another franchise installment it was a little bit um, you know it was starting to wear out its welcome and I haven't even seen the fifth <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean movie so uh, I mean uh, Javier Bardem was in that if I'm not oh, mistaken yeah, so it's right. like yeah <laughs> That was not a Mar uh, a Rob Marshall joint, though I don't believe so. Anyways, um, no, this this is a uh, you know the the thing about like these animated films from Disney Animation is they're already a bit of a pastiche. Um, 
I mean, there are these, you know, if it, to the uncritical eye, they just seem like kind of kids' cartoons, fun little romps with music. Uh, but but just if you dig even slightly beneath the surface, you realize how much artistry and work and labor and love is involved in bringing these to life. Uh, so I've since become, you know, just a huge stand for Disney animated films, especially the musicals, which just have such incredible social capital. Um, so, you know, as much as some of these fairy tales can seem like sort of paltry uh, imitations or, or um, this, uh, not even real, really faithful adaptations of their original source material, they've kind of become the definitive tellings of these tales. Um, but then you have these remakes that are almost like a copy of a copy in a way. So it, it kind of creates a little bit of like a rift in the, the matrix in a way that, that we're getting these kind of, you know, what's the reason for this existing? Uh, is it going to add anything substantive to the the lore the mythology the legacy of these tales that are just so famous within our cultural uh lexicon whether or not you know we're referring to the disney little mermaid or the hans christian anderson little mermaid um there's just so much legacy there uh but when when you're doing this kind of facsimile of just specifically the disney version with the disney songs yeah, you know, what can you do to add to it to make it worthwhile and not make it seem like just a, a cynical branding exercise? Uh, but they they managed to inject enough here to make it, you know, definitely worth the two hours and fifteen minutes I spent at the movie theater, um, and and the performances, of course. So, I don't know. I uh, are there any cases, uh, Laura, for you where? Um, these attempts to to remake the Disney animated films have just utterly fallen flat, or do you feel like they've all kind of been um, worthwhile trips to the cinema? That's a great question. I think it also depends on, I think, your personal connection with certain Disney films um, and also just kind of how they're being adapted. If, they're, if it was a musical originally and they've taken out the songs, that's going to be a really different adaptation. Um, so... And also, like if um, you know, for me, um, I'll always find something worthwhile to you know if, from a movie experience. But also, some of those times I just haven't gone and rewatched those movies. Like for me, Beauty and the Beast twenty seventeen just was one that really fell flat personally. Like, and I think it was mainly being a musical theater person. Like having a lead character who is a strong vocalist is really important to me in a musical. So that was kind of, I, I felt bad that they really auto-tuned Emma Watson. Like, I think she would have actually done a lot better had they just let her raw voice just sort of tell the story naturally and not make it so, I don't know, it didn't feel very human to me. I felt really bad, you know, because she really worked, I could tell she really worked hard on it. Um, so, you know, some of them have been hit or miss over the years, but I've always found, you know, one or more things to like really latch onto it. So from that adaptation, I really love that they utilized Audra McDonald, who is, oh, just queen of my heart, like Tony Award winning queen, incredible person, um, incredible vocalist. And they had her singing as much as often as possible. Um, 
but also they I, I liked a lot of the new songs as well in that one uh, evermore I think was was a standout um so I think you know with each adaptation you can kind of find things like if, if there was something you didn't like as much maybe there's some other aspect that oh that really uh made up for it uh, one way yeah, or another. Emma Watson kind of I mean she was in all the Harry Potter films she looked beautiful she looked gorgeous right right <laughs> She, absolutely yeah. i think she's taking a break but yeah she'll be back triumphantly i hope you know <laughs> on the scene uh, yeah i think she has taken a little break from performing she's probably getting her like master's or doctorate in something she's very intelligent yeah. yeah i think a lot of the remakes for me i haven't really cared one way or another i i haven't thought they're necessary at first i was thinking like oh they're remaking these things to pull in a new generation of children but really i mean little mermaid's a perfect example I don't think like a kid under eight, maybe some, you know, some go and they see the representation and that's really important for little kids. But these remakes aren't necessarily geared towards, I mean, the market that I work with, which is children, you know, ages three to seven, which the original movies are. So I was always like, why, why are they doing these? Obviously it's for the people with the nostalgia or whatever. But then I started thinking about how many movies that I like that have become Broadway shows and I'm like mean girls. I mean, the Lion King's a Disney one. Um, well, Wicked was a book, but became a musical. And I was like, I guess I, I was being a little bit too, I don't know, negative about remakes before. And I'm trying to be a lot more excited about them now moving forward. And I feel like Ariel's story and The Little Mermaid was sort of what pushed me to make that leap, especially just seeing all of the dialogue around it and people's perceptions of like how a story should be told, which rendition um should be the popular one, you know, and then you're going back to the source material and like, what should you take? What should you leave out? Which songs should you keep? And I was like, well, having all this dialogue makes it worth it to me because it's like, you got to just have this full experience of storytelling. And I like, I, as much as there was like a lot of negativity that came with like the casting of this movie, I loved how much people were talking about it before it even came out. I, that's why I love Taylor Swift too. I love, I love like the group caring or like the group concerned I've, it yeah, makes me feel part yeah. of something bigger and I I loved how people were talking about this movie like a year before it came out it just made it like a great experience but normally like with remakes I could really care less but I'm starting to gain appreciation for them yeah I feel the same way especially with this film like I have made so many online friends just from like the community of people of artists who have made fan art for this film, people who make doll recreations of the characters. Like it's been no like nothing else I've ever experienced before. So like the community that has surrounded this film ever since its first announcement and all of the casting announcements that have come along has been something that has been just like beyond words for me personally. And now that, you know, it's come out and we're all just like really celebrating and like, just like that we all got mm -hmm, to do this together mm -hmm. like i don't know that's like that's been the really amazing most amazing thing about okay. it honestly that i have experienced i love but, that yeah. okay it's these films are kind of like almost a, a celebration of the fan communities that have just uh totally enveloped around these films uh, and the little mermaid from 1989 was such a, a special film it was a it was one of the most um, pivotal films in Disney's history. So I, I understand, you know, why that would even have um, kind of a, a very special place in, uh, in a lot of fans' hearts beyond just um, having a general love of Disney animation. 
Yeah. And I think Disney, like hearing these conversations prior, probably seeing them, I do feel like they worked extra hard to try to make it the best it can be. They did things for this movie premiere that I hadn't seen them done really with any other movie. Typically, you wouldn't have the live action character premiere at the park so soon. You wouldn't see, I mean, at least from what I was seeing, the amount of just like red carpets and like grand openings and like special invites and really just the marketing of it. It just seemed like it was a whole nother level. Like it was more than I saw when Encanto came out. It was more, the the, the push for this movie was really, really big. And that was exciting. And I know a lot of that had to do with the way they cast it because they wanted everyone to come out and see like, look, this girl, she's not white, but she is Ariel. And they, they sold me on it. She you already said it, and I 100% agree. She 100% was a Little Mermaid. Every look, every body movement, every her voice. I was like, man, they they nailed it. Thank goodness, because I was nervous. Because yeah. I was like, if this doesn't work, we're gonna hear a lot of criticism. But I think anyone who saw her perform as Ariel was like, Mwah, Chef's kiss. Right. Yeah, Chef Louis' kiss, even though he wasn't there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's gone. I didn't mind. I didn't mind right. losing him. I already told you guys that. But same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we did a little chatting uh, in the lead up to this, but Halle uh, <laughs> Bailey. It didn't. I thought I heard that their search didn't last very long. Once they found her, it was right. kind of. I, I appreciate that, that it it just felt right. And they kind of went with their gut mm-hmm. when they discovered, you know, her talent. That, that seems like a, a fairly serendipitous uh, aspect. To, it yeah. was incredible, though, because I think she was like 18 when she auditioned. And now she's, what, 22 or 23. So this was quite the yeah, process. Yeah. I mean, this has been her life, I'm sure, for the past five years, pretty much completely. And I'm sure we've all seen scenes of the amount of work that went into filming this. You know, the mermaid movements, the mer- the under the sea, you know, choreography they had to do with the green screen. It looked incredibly yeah, difficult yeah. to create this. I, I overall, the animation style disappointed me. I don't like that it was sort of like, uh, planet earth documentary vibes like I wanted a lot more whimsy I wanted a lot more fantasy so I was disappointed that you know I felt like I was watching you know a documentary wild wildlife series but th- the amount of work that went into making that look as good as it did and as lifelike as it did ugh, you can't downplay the, oh, the yeah. amount of hours it took and they said some of these scenes they were actually filmed underwater so good for her. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you yeah. know more than I do about the the behind the scenes of this, but it was a lot of work. It's pretty crazy. They did a lot of like tank work. They did a lot of, you know, stuff with the blue screen on a rig. Um, and she, Hallie in particular, she was working with a, a personal trainer and did a lot of hours at the gym on neck training in particular. Like, yeah, because, because of like, you know, the mermaid movement, but also for the big hair flip and all of that. So like, it was quite a labor of effort on not just Hallie's part, but like everybody who had to do really physically demanding things in this, like, cause it was all, I, I think she did most of her own stunts. She had maybe a stand in for a couple scenes, but she was, that was all her, like absolutely incredible. I, I was wondering that throughout um, Lara's where we've worn wigs before and they're heavy. So the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, was her wig wet while she's doing this? Because I know for people who have, portrayed Rapunzel in the parks they've had to modify the wigs due to like neck injuries of just standing with the wig Mm -hmm. so I can't of course she had to do neck training that makes so much sense because 
I'm sure her hair weighed a ton. Yeah. And did, did you guys notice this might've been me like, did her hair color change throughout the film? It did. Yes. <laughs> like, is it more than one wig or more than one, you know, weave going through? So, so it was interesting. So what I heard is that all the underwater scenes, she had like a wig cap and the hair was mm. put on afterwards. So that's how they did it. And then when she was on land, she had extensions and that's what, that's what her hair was. So all the land scenes are pretty consistent because that's just what her hair was. But underwater i think they used a slightly different shade because it was added in yeah. after the fact so yeah very interesting how they did that yeah they've come a long way in being able to render cgi hair it looked really real i didn't know that it really did yeah <laughs> um in fact like in that pirates movie with javier bardem um he plays like this uh undersea um like ghost character and when he's even when he's above you know above the water his hair is kind of just floating around as if it's underwater you know i've seen that in the trailers at least um so that effect is is basically just a, a very complex underwater simulation but being applied in regular daytime um environments um, so yeah, it's incredible what they can do nowadays. Um, but I, I did, yeah, hear and um, shoot, I should I should have uh, t taken a look at the article in my Disney twenty three magazine because they probably have a lot more info on this. But that you know, a lot of the underwater stuff wasn't actually filmed underwater. But I guess if they did, uh, you know, make sense they would make use of tanks to a degree to at least get reference footage and maybe have some of the sequences be authentically underwater. But it, it's kind of nice to hear that that wasn't necessary for the whole thing. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. That would, that'd be rough. That would be quite quite the effort. Yeah. I One thing so random that I really appreciated about this adaptation was that it did actually draw a lot from the Hans Christian Andersen tale, at least especially, you know, when we start out with the first graphic that you see, they have that quote, and a mermaid has mm. no tears, and therefore she suffers so much more. And if you notice, she doesn't actually, Ariel never sheds a tear while she's a mermaid, but when she's on land is when she actually starts to let tears fall. So I thought that was a really cool detail to the you know, add to the mermaid lore and go back to the Hans Christian Andersen tale, as well as there was some imagery actually directly lifted from some of the illustrations in the Hans Christian Andersen original uh, release with um, when the mermaid rescues the prince. Um, there's a particularly striking image of her kind of pulling him out that was pretty much recreated in the live action really beautifully. And also when we go to unfortunate souls with the the sea witch um in the original story th the curse there's no contract uh, actually so what they do is they do some sort of blood curse kind of like how is happening in this film with the t plucking of the scale and everything so just those little details and stuff like that to kind of connect it kind of bring it full circle i thought was just really neat and also you know this film is pg instead of g and it also makes it a little bit more terrifying in a way so uh, which I, I always appreciate a little extra horror in a Little Mermaid story, kind of bringing it back to this, because the original is just, holy smokes, like, yeah. So, so yeah, there's just a couple details there that may, people may have missed, but I always like to point out, but yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, some surprising omissions, including, you know, there being less contract law in this version. <laughs> you don't actually see the the paper document that Ariel has to sign. Yeah, but it's a blood. It's a blood thing, which you usually don't see in a PG movie. You don't see a lot of blood. So I was pretty surprised right. they did that because I was really hoping to take my nephews to this. So my eyes were sort of peeled for anything that might be like not mm. for a five year old. And I was like, darn it, this is too scary, <laughs> especially the Ursula fight scene at the end. But I, I loved Ursula. I thought she was so awesome. She was probably one of the other highlights for me. I mean, they that's again where the casting was just perfect. I mean, Prince Eric was good too, and his song was really great. But like to me, he was just like any other like <laughs> cute white guy singing. You know, I mean, he was fine. <laughs> but but for Ursula and Ariel, they were it. Oh, King Triton! Did you guys feel like he was a little more hard and harsh compared to like in the animation? I always pictured him as like kind of like the silly old daddy. Like, and then in this one, I was like, man, <laughs> he's. He's he's more yeah, severe. I felt that definitely, you know, when he would talk about um, the mother being lost to humans and stuff and how Ariel says, well, I'm her daughter as well. That whole interaction, I just I didn't feel as much heart from the Triton character this time. Like I felt maybe he was more maybe it was more of a, a recent loss. I, I don't know the timeline of when things happened in this story. I think they mentioned something about like. 15 years ago is when Ursula was exiled. And I think that's when Ariel's mother died, but I don't know how old Ariel is in this version. So it's it's all very, very confusing kind of trying to figure that out. But but yeah, I, I did feel a little bit of that with his character. Okay, yeah. But I will say, yeah, yeah. Melissa definitely surprised me. Like, I think when she was first announced, I was like, oh, they're going to add so many jokes and it's just going to be, I, I, I really want to take this character seriously. Like she's scary. She's terrifying and i was so lost in her character like at points i was like that's Melissa mccarthy like no way like they only had a couple little jokes here and there but it was i think really tastefully done like she really did her homework and looking at at carol and divine for inspiration for the character so i like props and to her she like, hadn't absolutely she hadn't been it. considered for the role she actually had to seek them out and not beg but she had to like shoot her shot because she wasn't oh, in the yeah. running. And then she's like, please like hear me out. I've always connected to this character. Like, let me audition. And thank goodness she did, because now with this role, I can't really picture anyone else. And I loved her Vanessa counterpart. I don't remember mm -hmm. who that is, but when she screams and when she smiles, I just get the ick in the best way possible. And she's so gorgeous. Good. Like yeah. I was like, damn, she is gonna steal Prince Eric. She looks amazing. <laughs> yeah, Jessica Alexander is the mm. name. Of the actor. I I don't. She hasn't been in anything real prominent. Um, yeah, she has some like horror background. I know I've seen, I've heard of her doing stuff before where she was. She says she's had a lot of experiences, like a scream yeah. queen, which made a lot of sense with this role. Like she absolutely. She had like maybe five minutes of screen time and she ate it up. Like, absolutely. Like, I was living. Yeah, you get <laughs> sort of the effect of the traditional depiction of like the Greek siren in her character, mm. how she mesmerizes Eric. And oh. uh, the I, I did like sort of the world building as well. It did feel a bit more mythical. Um, Triton, I mean, he's from Greek mythology. You know, I remember like, 
Jody, you know, when we were in high school, you know, we had segments on um, Greek mythology and like Triton was a name that popped up. He's the son of Poseidon and Am. Amphor <laughs> I thought I thought this said Aphrodite at first, but it's Amphorite or Amphorite. Um mm, so... those names are a bugger. I wouldn't be able to know. <laughs> Am Amphorite <laughs> if I use kind of the, the same conventions of pronunciation. The uh he bore a trident sometimes. I always found it weird, you know, confusing as a little kid. Like he's his name is Triton and he his he's named after his weapon. He carries a Triton or what is <laughs> but it's trident. Like the gum. <laughs> <laughs> is he friends yeah. with King Sword and Queen Bow and Arrow? <laughs> uh but anyways, this uh yeah, the world uh, where he is this deity under the sea do they mention atlantica or is there no actually so i have with me the guide to merfolk book that is kind of a companion to this film and they have a whole map of like so the seven daughters each rule each of the seven seas and they've created brand new names for these there's the safety sea the Brine Dive Sea, the Apneic Sea, the Chine Sea, the Paichan Sea, the Fracas Sea, and the Karine Sea, which is the sea that Ariel rules over and where you can find Eric's kingdom. So, and this book is written, I think it's by, who is it? Eric Geron, I think is his name. And in universe, it's written by, I don't know exactly who, but you can see notes in the margins from Eric as I guess this was given to him. So he's learned about merfolk and kind of the just the legends of the sea and what you can find underwater. So I, I read this before the movie came that. out and it was really helpful for me to like kind of picture the world that they're building for this film. And they kind of mentioned it, you know, with the sisters. I really wish the sisters had more more to do because they just were so beautiful and they changed their names and they had brand new appearances and looked so just stunning. And they had just about as much screen time, maybe even less than Vanessa. So it was just... I really wanted them to have, you know, distinct personalities and like interacting with Ariel more and with Triton more. Um, but um, but yeah, their whole lore in this movie is that um, they each roll over one of the seven seas and then at every coral moon, they kind of come together and relay the news of each of the seven scenes, what's been going on, what has what they've been doing to help, whatnot. And of course, um, you know, it's a change from the original where there was a concert um, and Ariel missed that. But in this case, Ariel just forgot to to go to this important gathering with her sisters and relay the news of what's been going on in her kingdom that she's supposed to be, I guess, helping rule. Uh, I wish they would have do dove into that a little bit more. I think it would have been a little, it would have cleared things up a bit. But yeah, that was kind of the where we start at the beginning. And hopefully that provides an extra context because I know I, I would yeah, I love that. really like to know that. I never, going. yeah, I never would have expected this film or one of these, you know, Disney live action adaptations to have like a full-blown tie-in, like series Bible almost of reference material. Um, so like you could expand this into a whole, you know, Game of Thrones style franchise or Lord of the Rings, you know, just like, yeah, I would love to see that, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that my like jaw dropped at the thought of that. I was like, "Ooh, bring me more!" Because I also I didn't know about this book, but they would sort of drop hints throughout, like where the uh, Eric's mother, the queen of that island, um, mm -hmm. she would talk about how you know the the 
the spirits of the sea and the mermaids were stealing the land back because they were eroding the rock and they've been cursed by the 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 monsters of the sea sea. yeah yeah and I was like Philip was like man I had just read in a book called Circe which was a mythological book Mm -hmm. about like nymphs and their siren songs and I loved in the original Little Mermaid you hear nothing about that and then you think of the mythology of what mermaids did and what these sea nymphs would do to sailors and of course they would have been terrified of them but how the siren song was used by Ursula to possess Eric to fall in love I really liked that they did that as well because I remember being a kid being like wait why is Eric now falling in love with Vanessa you know but they really like tied it up with a nice little bow by being like that's her siren song it's not just her voice Mm -hmm. it's this very powerful thing and the fact that Eric fell in love with her without the siren song just says so much more about that actual love which I thought like deepened it I mean they deepened Eric's character a lot which which was awesome but like Philip said bringing in that additional mythology was great was awesome yeah like they do mention Eric I think mentions Europe at one point so this is supposedly planet earth uh okay yeah so it's kind of mediterranean slash caribbean inspired um he has a map that he shows ariel and he mentions a couple countries in south america and europe as well um so he goes on voyages and he sees all these different places um so i i like that they kind of created like a new country out of existing influences because when you think about the film the 1989 little mermaid like that's not denmark like there's no way that denmark would have palm trees and these tropical fish and this like you know kind of like temperate climate and beautiful weather like you know um so so it makes sense that they would kind of especially with the music being calypso reggae inspired as well that they would go in kind of a more caribbean route with this uh kingdom um in the market and everything um but speaking of the market, I hope you all noticed a very familiar face slash familiar voice in the market because I screamed when I saw that. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, I, I made audible fangirl noises <laughs> in the theater. Uh, but yeah, that was that was cool to see Jodie Benson. She she doesn't make too many live action appearances, but she's had some that have really um, made impressions. But I was she plays like a. Oh, in in um, Enchanted. She was in that, right? She was... Yeah. And it was a very similar experience, I think, with that character, Sam, the uh, secretary of Robert, having this moment with Giselle being like, what is this girl doing? <laughs> it felt very yeah. similar to like giving the dingle hopper to Ariel and her being like, what is this girl doing with this fork? <laughs> I thought it was really cute. Yeah. A little passing mm-hmm. of the dingle hopper. Um, sp- speaking of like the magic of this film and um the creatures i i can totally accept like sebastian i i thought that was a good rendition of his character um but like it's a do can crabs really swim around like that i mean i i totally accept that he's just a magical <laughs> crab and he can sing and talk but flounder can talk but but can all fish talk to mer people uh how does that work suspension of disbelief is what i'm saying <laughs> i really couldn't figure it out when when the musical numbers broke out in the animated Little Mermaid, everyone was getting in on it. And it didn't seem like that was the case here. Like there wasn't as much of a chorus involved in the, the musical numbers. Mm-hmm. And I, I was kind of missing that. Yeah, I would have loved to hear more background vocal and harmonies in like 
uh, under the sea kind of I was missing a couple moments where I I love to hear harmonies in like the Broadway rendition and in the original film as well it felt like more of a kind of solo moment but I did really like the addition of Ariel coming in there and she's kind of going along with it and her whole theme in this movie is that you expect to see her and then she dips out at the very last second and you never see how she leaves. And so I, I like whenever they kind of had those moments. Um, but but yeah, it was really cute to hear. And I, I love that they utilize Hallie's voice as much as possible. Like, yes, when you have a voice like that, please let us hear it more often. But um, yeah. I'd never heard um, Aquafina perform music and, and that's how she got her name. She's like a, a rapper, comedian. Uh, from Queens, I think her she had a show basically semi autobiographical called like Nona or Mona from Queens, something like that. Nora, I think. Yeah. Nora, yeah. Nora. There we go. Um, that might be her actual first name, Nora. Uh, sorry, I'm not all up on my uh Aquafina trivia. Uh, but yeah, hearing her perform um was was fun, and it was in a comedic context, so like. It's supposed to sound kind of clumsy, and that character, you know, Scuttles is such a, a scatterbrain. So it it, it worked. I, I thought it worked. Yeah, I will say that song, Scuttlebutt. It's weirdly growing on me. I I can't. I don't know how it happened. On first viewing, I was like, "What is going on? This feels like a fever dream. What's happening right now? Is does this moment really sing? Like, I just was so confused, but also kind of like. Oh, okay and so and then I saw it a second time and I was like you know what I feel the beat I get it but also like I'm still kind of like iffy on like whether or not that moment necessarily needed musical motivation um I just especially because it comes right before like huge heartbreak oh. like it's I don't know but the song out of context I don't know why but I I feel the beat of it I'm like okay okay work <laughs> but yeah I, I like it yeah I'm glad like she's been in several Disney projects recently she was in um Shang-Chi she was in uh Raya but you know no singing in either of those so uh and what was that what else she was in something I feel just another animated thing i don't know but anyways um you know she's she's been around but uh yeah finally got to do a musical number so that was it was it was memorable in its own like way i feel like scuttlebutt you're gonna either love it or you're gonna hate it and i i'm a hater i like looked <laughs> at my husband and i was like what like that was the only that was probably for me like the only cringe moment of the whole thing some people found eric's song to be cringy but i loved it i loved it i've been i loved it so much ah. i've been playing it in the car and i love her other i'm assuming all these new songs were lynn manuel miranda but i really loved yes. um mm -hmm. first time um you know her yeah, singing her experience of becoming human i mean I, and I love, I always love, and kids love it too, but like a good costume change. And when she's talking about the corset being tightened and the shoes or whatever, yeah. I, I said this prior before we hopped on, but is there a reason she only really gets one dress design? Because the Ariel in mm -hmm. the OG, she has her sparkle dress, her blue dress, her pink dress, her like ocean thing, nightgown. her nightgown, her pink yeah. nightgown. But like, even like mm -hmm. when she's wearing a sheet, it's a dress. She has a lot of looks and mm -hmm. i don't mind the blue dress but i do know that it seemed boring 
We, not boring, not not that dress, but I was yeah, just... I wonder, I wonder. I didn't know if you read anywhere. Is there a reason why mm-hmm. even her finale dress was kind of the same, but pink? I was wondering, I was wondering the same as well. And I, you know, Colleen Atwood, I think she did, she did a great job with the ones that we saw, but I, I wonder it's because they just didn't do a dinner scene and it didn't facilitate the need of having a dinner dress for the dinner scene. Um but yeah, I wondered if dramaturgically that was also kind of like a thing of like maybe in this kingdom with her just kind of coming in from they don't know where they just have this one dress for her and they're like, OK, we're just going to give her that because I I don't know if if that was the reason or what. But yeah, I would have loved to see her in like like a ball gown or something at some point or like this the sparkly transformation dress. But I did really like that her she found her dress again because Eric kind of let it go into the water and it made its way back to her. And and she didn't give up on that. And so I thought that was really, that was a nice kind of turn around, or a full circle moment for, for that dress to come back again and then having a new dress after that. But but yeah, I was wondering kind of, and it's funny because in the lead up to this, there were so many people online who were lying and saying that Ariel was going to have this big poofy ball gown dress at one point. They were like, oh, I saw an advanced screening because my dad worked on the film. I heard like, I think three stories just like this where people are like, my blah, blah, blah worked on the film. And I know that there's this dinner scene and she has this beautiful pink ball gown. You guys are not going to want to miss it. I think (laughs) I don't know why people do that. Like (laughs) there's so much like gate keeping within our industry I mean I remember when Frozen 2 came out we didn't know about the dress the Mm -hmm. white dress was like this big surprise so I I was thinking that there would also be a surprise dress with this because a lot of people who do like character entertainment they try to get a head start on these costumes they try to get them commissioned but when you don't know what the dresses look like but with this one I mean you really could have ordered the one that you saw or you could have had it designed based off of Mm -hmm. the trailers I I guess what you said there is like, she's not really treated really like a princess in this kingdom. She's sort of more like a guest. So that sort of makes sense because it, it did seem odd in the original that they're like, Oh, this random girl on the beach shall now be dining with us in our finest ball gowns. Whereas in this one, it's more like, okay, let's help (laughs) this girl out. She can't speak. Like she's sick. Let's, let's throw in her dress. Let's throw Mm -hmm. her. She's not the queen of the castle, but she's welcome. And that, that, Mm -hmm. that's a good point. Maybe they wanted to keep her like not humble but her as you know eric's the prince and she's Mm -hmm. not a princess yet do you know what i mean she well she is but right you know what i mean so maybe that was part of the reason (laughs) yeah i like to think there was a reason behind it and not just them like not making extra costumes because i love the more costumes the better for me but yeah Yeah. you're right that could be it i mean yeah she she does seem to enchant eric to a degree like when he discovers her and you know, allowing her access to the, the castle and then he, they do you know obviously the sequ- sequence kiss the girl like they they come close to breaking the spell even though yeah the uh ursula dirty dog she cheats and yeah. I, that was oh. that even an element of the animated version where ariel doesn't even know <laughs> oh jeez mm. yeah Oh, she was sly in this one. She slipped in the word amnesia. Like she thought we would have noticed that she changed her spell a little bit. I was like, I see what you did there, miss. But but yeah, it was interesting. Whenever it was mentioned, she just kind of would be like, oh, what are you talking about? She'd have that blank. My husband had no idea like about that. He must have missed it when she threw that into the spell. And he's like, 
why wasn't she trying mm. harder to like kiss? And I was like, she didn't know. But you know what was so extra cute? What she did know is how she taught him how to say her name mm. by, mm. by yeah. pointing to the stars and like playing with his Very lip. Nice. I was like, okay, if he doesn't kiss oh, her when she's is. touching his Very lip, <laughs> like that was the cutest thing I have like ever seen. That whole like little interaction written in the stars. Oh, I was like just dying of cuteness. Like that was a beautiful addition. And also it made sense with like the animals, I guess, can't be heard by humans. Cause when Scuttle is trying to sing it just comes out like squawk, squawk. <laughs> so, so I guess it makes sense that like, if Sebastian was like, Ariel, her name is Ariel. Like he wouldn't, he would just be like, oh, is there a crab around here? What noises would you crabs make? I don't know. But um, but yeah, I, I also loved um the earlier scene that was with Eric and Ariel. Just any time of them bonding was just super cute, especially with um the scene and I guess I, I don't know if it's a library or a study with all of his like mermaid collection stuff from his voyages the jade mermaid was a beautiful addition when he said my little mermaid and she was like oh, he knows <laughs> i thought that was really cute um and then just kind of him being like oh maybe it's really silly of me to have this collection and her being like no 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 like i have that too but obviously he can't say that yeah yeah she had the reverse she has like yeah. all the human things well she mm -hmm. did before her father destroyed them they really did great with eric and they did really great by like making the kingdom like having the queen have a story and so that going yes, into it like yeah. philip said i was like wait two hours and 15 minutes like this is gonna be like a lot but they really did use the time very wisely by creating more moments of like understanding around all the characters mm -hmm. the romance felt really earned and like really just like you felt like these people got to really know each other and connect with each other in their own way and that this kind of language barrier wasn't going to hold them back. And I just, I just thought, it was, I mean, of course, in the original, I felt like the same, but obviously it's a shorter movie. So it has to kind of speed up a little bit more, but I like that they were able to, to add more and take more time with it and show more of these like cute bonding moments. And me being like the lover of these two characters, like, I just, I love to see it as often as possible. I think it's just I, super cute. The pacing yeah. was perfect in my opinion. Do you, I've mm -hmm. never seen the Little Mermaid Broadway version and not to pull us that way, mm. but would you say it's a, a similar vibe as far as like the timing of the storyline the way it breaks yeah. down do you have that growth honestly there's yeah I I think especially because in Broadway they have a whole song where Eric is teaching Ariel to dance one step closer it's the cutest little thing um which I think is about the same amount of time as them having you know met and seeing all the little objects and things like that um so and I honestly I felt a lot of times while watching this I was like oh I'm getting a lot of Broadway vibes from this like not only with certain plot elements like Aunt Ursula being from the from the original script of the 1989 movie and dropped but also used in the Broadway uh, Broadway show um that plot element being a part of this film as well as I mean once we get to the the finale with Ariel destroying Ursula she does that in the Broadway show too she takes the Nautilus shell which also in the Broadway show contains Ursula's life force I, they never fully explained what that was about but she just like smashes it and that's the final battle and the because they, they can't really do the whole Leviathan thing on Broadway it just wouldn't have it wouldn't have been great so so that's kind of how they approached it on Broadway and she just takes the shell smashes it and then Ursula dies and 
yeah so ariel saves the day in multiple iterations of the story and i i'm yeah. here for it yeah, yeah. a little you know more girl power here i guess but that that's fine i mean because eric was expanded um you know a lot for this film so it's not like he had less to do than in the animated mm -hmm. version so he kind of gets that heroic moment at the end i think partially uh you know in the in the animated version partially just so that he has some kind of you know agency within that film for what is otherwise not the most roundly developed character um but yeah here jonah howard king does a great job uh yeah he's i mean they didn't cast a feathery naif or a waif like <laughs> no, not to <laughs> disparage but you know like uh Timothy Chalamet or mm -hmm. you know, some kind of one of those heartthrobby, you know, quiet types. Harry Styles was in consideration for a very long time. And I was thinking that I'm happy they didn't do that. I'm happy. Yeah, I think I'm happy yeah. they picked sort of like someone relatively. relatively yeah. 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 And I think it would have disrupted Hallie's moment, you know, with Harry Styles being like this mega pop star it would have been all about like oh Harry's in this Disney movie and not about like well we have this beautiful like black finally like Ariel who's playing this this role and so like I think that moment was far too important to have disrupted by like another big name being added onto it I think it all balanced out with the casting in the end and I, I don't think there was anybody that was really like upstage like I think it all just like worked out and I love I really did love Jonah like I when he was announced I was like oh that looks like, yeah like he looks like he could totally do an amazing job as as Eric and um and I I really loved um how just you know he had a little bit more of like a motivation to Eric and about him he wants to really further their kingdom and make it so that they're not left behind he says this a couple times um and so he goes out on these voyages and he's trying to like trade with other kingdoms and um you know help other people i think he mentioned one time they were trading for something that was going to cure malaria um but unfortunately a lot of the remnants of, of that like thing ended up in the bottom of the ocean with the shipwreck but um but yeah and then him having just this whole affinity for mer culture merfolk and and just kind of learning about other cultures as well from around the world like i just i love to see it just like I, i'm a prince eric enthusiast so i just i appreciated all of the little extra things they added to his character yeah um he was he just turned 28 as we're recording this his birthday was yesterday uh, oh, happy birthday yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he's, uh, I guess, 21 in the film. And I mean, people, mm -hmm. he's he's had a hard life on the seas. He likes to go out and live the life of a sailor, even though he could be more pampered as a prince. But like that wasn't his desire to just be cooped up in the, the castle. And he, he's adopted. And he was adopted, yeah. too. That was, yeah, that was an interesting addition as well. And um, how he mentions he wasn't really, he didn't grow up to this life. He kind of had to sort of figure it out and like, oh, like this is, I wasn't born to be a prince, but I had to kind of, he, yeah. So so that was, yeah, yeah super interesting. Doesn't that they he added that. And I think, like reference his father too at certain points? Does yeah, he mean the yeah. adoptive father or his real father? Do you know? Oh, like what happened question. to the king? I, I would assume. I would assume he'd be talking about the king. And I, I think the way that Eric got to them was via yeah. a shipwreck as well. So, and I have this headcanon and I don't think this is actually true, but my headcanon is that maybe 
there is some myrrh in his biology. Mm. Like, you know, he came from a shipwreck. We don't know where where that was coming from. He just came from the sea. So like, I don't know. Um, mm. <laughs> but but yeah, interesting. Many things to ponder about the origins of, mm. of these characters. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's built like a quarterback. I was kind of wondering when he was introduced, is this going to be like some mentor character to the Prince Eric? And, and then they mm. later reveal Eric and he's kind of just a, a little boyish kind of cabin boy on the <laughs> ship uh but no that this uh this character is very mature and um you know in a leadership role on on board he he is the prince um and he's uh he's already lived a life at 21 so very very impressive and they never really speculate on ariel's age i know we like touched on that but in the original mm-hmm. she's like I'm 16, or, yeah. right? She's like, I'm 16. I'm not a like child. Yeah. I, you probably know the actual quote, but this time I am assuming that she's a little bit older just because of the way she carries herself. And she seems, she's not, not that the original Ariel's whiny, but this one is definitely more like strong-willed and and mm-hmm. less so like a little bit like a baby. The, the OG Ariel is a little bit of a baby sometimes. And I feel like this Ariel is a lot stronger. Not not that the old Ariel is bad or anything, but I think they took away the pouty lip and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like they made her yeah. much more. Yeah, I think they were really cognizant of how the uh, 1989 Ariel had mm. been perceived because a lot of people have had a lot of like just in the past, I want to say like, especially like 10, 15 years or so, I've had a lot of negative things to say about just the character of Ariel, mm-hmm. about her being like, oh, she has a whole song where she whines about, and then she changes herself from it, like that whole thing. And like, I could get into why all those people are wrong and why they've just never really appreciated the movie, but I'm not going to do that. But, but you know, I, I think that I, the directors are really cognizant of like, just the fact that this character has gotten so much backlash already. So they really wanted to kind of tiptoe with the characterization of her this time and make sure. And I honestly, I felt she wasn't as rebellious in, in the new film. They really were trying to skirt away from that. Like she doesn't even go on land until she breaks the surface the first time. And I think that's also another illusion from the Hans Christian Andersen tale as um, she wasn't allowed to go on land at all. And she finally does when she does rescue the prince, that whole sequence. But but yeah, she she didn't seem as, you know, um, eager to break the rules this time. She was very complimentary to her father, very easy to, she apologized immediately for everything because that was a criticism that the character got in the in the original film. So I think Disney was really like, okay, we really don't want people to dislike this character any more than they already do. So we're going to see if we can kind of tweak things here and there and make sure that they are, that people realize that this character, you know, has always been a character to look up mm-hmm. to, despite the things that people have said over the years about her characterization and just people thinking that she's not a good role model. Like, you know, I think this version illuminates why Ariel is a character that so many of us do look up to and do aspire to and admire and have so many qualities to that are just just really excellent to 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 and for kids to like look up to and what exactly so, anyone who yeah. has a dream that has felt unobtainable like that this is the role model for them because so many things in this life feel so out of reach and what could be more out of reach than taking a fin and turning it into legs i mean like she's in in a tough tough spot in the og one and in this one and there's just something so inspiring about someone who who gets it done and i liked 
she has a reprise in this 2023 version where she's almost kind of like contemplating like I made this decision and it it didn't pan out I don't remember the exact lyrics but she's like this is like this is a result of my choices is now I am alone and I am lost and I'm scared or whatever and I, I really liked that too because she doesn't say like oh what was me like what happened she's like I chose and maybe I chose wrong. Like in that moment, I'm sure she's thinking like, maybe I, maybe I made the wrong choice or whatever. And I, I really, I always love reprises, but I thought that those additional lyrics also really filled her out in the way you're discussing here, really completed that thought process of making sacrifices to get what you want. I mean, she made the biggest sacrifice anyone can make. I wouldn't leave my family. And I, I want to assume like at the very end, you know, there's mermaids out, there's people out. This is the beginning of a world where she no longer has to choose between one and the other, because in the mm-hmm. animated sequel, there is still no real communication between the people and the humans. Like in the sequel, they're still very separate, but they have like a wall, yes, you know? but the, at the yeah. ending of this, were there to be like a sequel, you know, the next year, the next year, mm. these worlds would be in tandem. They would be, I would assume because it, it ends that on right. a much more harmonious note which is great compared to oh in the sequel of (laughs) the animated version yeah I love that reprise as well I think it really also harkened back to an original version of the reprise that Howard Ashman wrote that was actually cut from the film where the first reprise of part of your world was actually a lot more sorrowful and less hopeful than you know the big moment on the rock that we get um Ariel says something of of like, but I can see I'll never be part of that world. And it's just like, oh, it's just a gut punch. And so I think Lynn, I mean, especially Lynn being a fan of Howard as much as I am and, you know, trying to carry on. I mean, those are big shoes to fill. Like I, I cried when I saw the Howard Ashman dedication at the end of this film, I could go on and on about how he is as much a part of Ariel as anyone who's ever brought her to life is like, he's just Oh, I'll cry about it if I talk about it too much, honestly. But um, so I think really Lynn channeled Howard as best as he could when he wrote those lyrics for this additional reprise and really, um, you know, just bringing Ariel's character to life and facing this these consequences in a new way that hadn't really, there wasn't really a moment for that in the original. So I just thought that was a, a, a really brilliant and poignant addition. But I can see I'll never be. Mm-hmm. A part of that world. And then she's crying. Oh, except yeah, she can't because yeah. she's a mermaid. On her she's a mermaid, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, what a poignant moment that would have been. I mean, certainly the there, there are certain constraints of uh, animation. It is, it's so labor intensive. Um, I mean, <laughs> of course, that didn't stop Jeffrey Katzenberg from literally cutting sequences from already animated material for some of these films oh. including nearly axing the the part the the main oh. body i guess you know if they, if they cut the uh, the main portion of part of your world that he would also cut the reprise as well and yeah what a what a wait, mess wait that wait, wait, wait 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 back <laughs> it up. the head the head of walt oh. disney picture uh yeah i don't know if he, i think he was this was like a studio executive at the time yeah um he wanted to cut a portion of the song out yeah it was really bizarre actually the whole song so in test screenings for for the little mermaid 1989 he was watching kids so the movie wasn't completely finished it was a bunch of like pencil drawings at this point 
So kids were watching the part of your world sequence. And this was before they added the whole Sebastian shenanigans to that scene. It was really just Ariel, Ariel just singing this I want song beautifully. And just the whole point of the movie of like her wanting to be a human and just that's her desire. And that propels the rest of the events of the, you know, her whole theme and everything. And there was a kid in like, I guess in like the front row or something who knocked over his popcorn and for the whole song, he was more interested in picking up his popcorn. So Jeffrey Katzenberg saw that and was like, we got to do something. We got to take this out of the film. And Howard Ashman said, literally, he said, no, over my dead body. Absolutely not. And Glenn Keane and him got to work on like, how can we like save this song? Because it is like Howard did this. He he gave this speech uh, about how necessary this is to the whole film about just like I could yeah. go on and on about why part of your world is just such an brilliantly expertly written tune among just so many other and how it has inspired such beautiful I want songs in the future and whatnot. But um, but anyway, um, so, you know, Glenn Keane was really drawn to this because he had never really drawn these kind of princess characters before, but he was really inspired by this song. So he got working on on Ariel on drawing her. And then so they reworked the scene a little bit and they're like, okay, we'll kind of add some like slapstick humor for the kiddos so that they're not too bored. And that saved the song. Um, And I was really interested because in the live action, they didn't do any of that, actually. They just had Hallie sing it. And so I hope that kids wouldn't have been bored by it, because especially with her soaring vocals and what she's uh, really done to make the song her own and really showcase her talents as well. And um, I I think that is honestly enough as well. But so... I'd be curious to see your, uh, what Jeffrey Katzenberg's take on that. I'm curious be. as a whole on how many children are going to this and have seen it because the, mm. the when we went, it was in the evening, so I'm guessing kids weren't there. But I I want to know. I know they had a great box office number. I, Philip, you might know what they brought in in their opening mm-hmm. weekend. Mm-hmm. But I wish there was a way to pull up statistics of like how many of those attendees were like under age 10. Again, like with our job, mm. I'm just always so curious. Like do these live actions really bring in children or was there more of a push? And it's, it's hard to say, but um, yeah, there were no kids in our theater basically. So I, so I wouldn't know, I wouldn't know if there was a kid that was bored or not because there wasn't any, you know, in ours, you know, but that, that might not have been the case everywhere. I I would just be curious if there was a way to find that out. Um, But I do think they were, they were the, the top of the box office, I would assume, right? Yeah, it was the number one movie. It was yeah. a long weekend, four day weekend. Um, so, so far domestically, let's see, uh, 95.6 uh, million is just the stat that I'm seeing for May 26th through the 28th. Um, and it's it's made you know, plenty you, more than that. You knowing numbers a little more, Philip, is that, a, is that like a blowed out of the water? amount or is that like a strong weekend or is that just like a fair weekend like what does that number kind of mean in comparison to like christmas mm-hmm. crowds and like you know um, is it amazing or is typical, it good it's good it's it's not necessarily amazing but it's strong you know a hundred million dollars opening weekend domestic is very impressive uh it would be disappointing for something like a, a star wars or a, a big marvel, marvel. avengers mm-hmm. yeah like in Avengers in Infinity War or uh, Endgame. Endgame, I believe, was over 300 million domestic <laughs> its wow. opening weekend. So, Oof. I mean, that's triple what this was, but that's 
you know, that, you know, that's a different story. It's kind of a different um, sort of culmination event uh, that you're talking about. So, so this will do well. Um, but, uh, you know, it's there, it's maybe, I, I think it's a fair amount less than what Beauty and the Beast did opening weekend, but that was before Disney plus. Now people are conditioned to, mm see these movies pop up on streaming, you know, a month or so after the theatrical debut. So that I think has somewhat tempered the, uh, the box office numbers for, for these. And I don't know if they're seeing a similar recompense in subscriber numbers to Disney plus. Uh, I mean, that would be the hope, but streaming overall does seem to be kind of struggling as an industry uh, oh so yeah, I know they keep trying to kick us out of like the all the different apps because we share our passwords. So they must be struggling. <laughs> yeah. Our theater, our theater was full yeah. though. I mean, it was it was great watching. Mm -hmm. I think it's the first time in maybe a year and a half that I've gone to a theater that was completely full. It's been a, I mean, it's been a long time since I've been in that. Oh, same. So that was really nice. I love experiencing it with a group. Again, I'm gonna ask you guys because I said it at the beginning. Did the animation bug you? Like, did the lack of like brightness and like fantasy in the colors bug you? Because like, I felt like Avatar World of Water was more beautiful underwater mm -hmm. and bright and like amazing than this, but you guys didn't chime in on that. So I'm just curious what you thought about the animation. Did, yeah. did, you, did you mind it? Did you like it? Like... I I kind of like I'm a person that I go to the zoo and I go to the aquarium and I just stare at mm -hmm. fish like all day like so as somebody who just loves sea animals like I didn't mind that they went for like a photorealistic sort of approach with you know having like dolphins that look like dolphins and like fish mm. that look like fish and sea turtles and whatnot um I also saw it in IMAX which probably helped I think it was a little bit more saturated oh. a little bit of a, a brighter image quality I, I really felt because I also I saw it in IMAX and then I saw it at Imagine Theater at their kind of version of IMAX Emax I think is what they call it and both were I think IMAX was a little brighter than than the one that I saw at Imagine so I, I don't know if that made a difference. I, I definitely felt it was like the under the sea sequences definitely felt like that whole song felt a lot like pretty bright. And I and I didn't mind personally, like I know a lot of people when they saw Flounder for the first time, they were like, what is this? <laughs> uh, I yeah. didn't mind Flounder. I just I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. I wanted it brighter and I wanted to like up the mm -hmm. vibrancy. Like even in Ursula's yeah. lair, mm -hmm. I was like, I can't see this lair. Like it's so dark. It's so dim. Mm -hmm. I could see her potions. But you know what? You're right. It could have really just possibly also been the screen I was watching it on. Yeah. I didn't see mm. it in 3D. That could have made a difference. Um, did mm. you, Jody? No. No. Um, mm. Our friend Alex, who has been on the show before, she did see it in 3D and she really liked it. I have glasses, okay. so I always wonder how that's going to like hinder my 3D experience. Okay. But I, I, like I said, yeah. I do plan on seeing it again. And maybe I'm going to splurge on the tickets and go mm. to the bigger screen and see if that brightens it up for me. I don't mind a darker picture in my cinematography. It's... Uh, you know, as a, as a personally, as a cinematographer, no, I'm not a cinematographer, but like it, I, it's a, a little more realistic. So lends itself to kind of doing these more realistic live action takes on these films. Um, I don't know. And there were enough brighter moments to kind of balance it out for me, the colorful sequences and the coral reef with the, uh, under the sea. Um, 
I was never, I never had a hard time understanding what was going on. You know, the sequence with the shark and the shipwreck in the beginning, I, uh, you know, it was noticeably dark, but it was like that, that was supposed to be the vibe. It's kind of scary. I remember being scared by that sequence as a kid, even like as much as I, you know, poo pooed the princess movie, you know, as a, as a dumb old kid, uh, there were plenty of moments <laughs> that terrified me from this film at the same time. So shows what a man I was. Uh, but no, it is scary. And the and the final battle scene <laughs> yeah. as a kid, that also really scared me. Like when Ursula grows, because oh. now she has this power to like grow and grow and grow and grow. That part was always terrifying to me. And it was equally terrifying as an adult, like watching it <laughs> in the theater. I was like, and Eric gets his like foot caught. So he's kind of like, yeah, I thought yeah. I thought that whole battle scene was very good. It wasn't drug out too much because sometimes I feel like with fight scenes, they just sort of keep going and going and going. But they they kept my attention for this one. Yeah, there's certain like triggering visceral things for kids sometimes when like a character that swells up like that can can be like one of those odd things that kids look at and they kind of recoil. I, I don't remember that specifically bothering me. It maybe did a little bit, but the thing that kind of bothered me was like Ursula basically possessing Ariel uh, in in the mm. or unfortunate souls sequence. That that always creeped me out big time um, when I was really young, um, and you know similarly effective in this version, I would say, and even more kind of um, malicious. Um, and you kind of get the sense that Ariel is being entranced. It's she's not fully giving in of her own volition. Um, and it kind of makes sense more so to her thought process of potentially sacrificing her life for three days on land without her voice. Like it just seems like a, a crazy thing to do unless you're just really uh dissatisfied with your life under the sea i mean maybe ariel is maybe there's a certain sense of wanderlust that she just can't escape and and i think the this film you know despite its criticisms if you look more deeply you know with the original um little mermaid like howard ashman and his lyrics mencken and his compositions it it manages to Im um impart this emotional sensibility of Ariel just longing so heavily, so irrationally. It's it's like an elemental um, uh, human emotion that is being conveyed um, in that I want song. And, and that's why I enjoy the, I've come to really appreciate all these princess movies is they do convey a certain very primal sort of elemental human uh, conditions that um, are rarely depicted as effectively elsewhere. Yeah, I really like, you know, they kind of come full circle with it at the end where I where I, I always felt, and I think Hallie described it as such when she was being interviewed, or she, she mentioned this at one point, of part of your world being a song that's like a desperate plea to be heard. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody finally just listened to me. And, you know, at the end of, the, of this film, um, Triton tells her, like, you shouldn't have had to give up your voice to be heard, but now I'm listening and I'm here for you. And I thought that was just a beautiful, ah, oh, crying, just a beautiful addition. And again, something that I think people who would criticize this story might like to hear of, like, you know, it's, it's, this is what it's all about. It's like this, this familial uh, relationship that has been strained by miscommunication, by 
just, you know, mm -hmm. not understanding each other and, um, you know, kind of coming to this reconciliation at the end of like, I just haven't been hearing you and I will now. And I don't know. I just thought that was really lovely. That was something that was occurring to me as I was watching this, how this film really is, uh, it's like an effective meditation on the, the mere concept of communication. Um, I, you know, if I were in aerial shoes, I'd be desperately, you know, even though I, I wouldn't have like a larynx capable of producing uh, audible sound, I'd be like, you know, trying to make sounds just with my breath or something, moving my mouth, whatever. I guess that would have been kind of uh, awkward. And <laughs> she might she might get thrown out of the castle if she's acting erratically like that or something. Uh, but just like trying to find some way to communicate. I can't imagine Ariel can necessarily write in written oh, well, language. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Philip, that is like one of the critiques from the first one is like she can write her name because she signs the scroll in the original oh. animated. She's oh. like A-R-I-E-L. And it's like, wait, you go to land and you can't write out a note? to Prince Eric, but you can clearly spell and write in English. Like what is going on? Maybe... So I'm so happy they did not have that fatal error this time around. Cause I, I remember thinking the same thing. Like, why isn't she like acting it out? Why isn't she like, she does what? act it out. She does the whole, like, this. That, whole that's thing. true. That's true. But like, at least in this one, there's no like thought that she could have just written a note because like she, she gives right. the scale yeah. instead, but you're saying like, oh, she, she couldn't like communicate writing things down. I was like, yes, yeah, she could in the, in the animated one, she could. <laughs> Nice. Cut out the fine print so that it makes more sense logically. And also, um, oh, gosh, she, she uh, it, it could all just be kind of explained away by the enchantment, you know, the amnesia. Yeah, they dashed all the possible plot holes that they could just kind of patch them up just so that people don't have anything to nitpick on that they aren't already. Oh, my gosh. I, I don't know if you guys just to tap onto that nitpicking thing. So I like pulled up the, today. I was like, I just want to check the reviews because everyone I've talked to has really liked mm -hmm. it. And my circle, I mean, I'm not surprised. My circle really likes it in my online world, but there are like a stunning amount of like negative reviews. And apparently according to like a review about the reviews, it's getting like bombed overseas where people are just it like is. giving one yeah. star, one star. Like IMBD was even trying to like, slow down the amount of negativity and Laura I don't know if you've read more into what's going on with these these rating bombers I guess it's the it's the racism that's okay. what it is yeah it's 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 unfortunately in a lot of overseas markets this movie when it was first you know with the trailers people just could not get out of their head about the casting. Mm. And so unfortunately, as as a result of that, there have been like these like hate coalitions, like in different circles across the internet. You know, there was a hashtag that went around for a while that was like, hashtag not my, oh my aerial. So, so awful. Like, you know, so I think it's it's a lot of like, just like hatred that is coming from yeah. outside markets that honestly like this film is maybe not really for like i don't know like it's really really bizarre is... and and i hope and i i have heard that imdb is doing something to quell those people who actually haven't seen the film that are just like review bombing it that's what i was wondering nope. I was like have all these people watched it or like what because i haven't actually gone in and clicked th through them i mean i obviously have seen a lot of 
you know, hate and ignorance when it came with the casting. But my assumption was if, if I mean, if anyone's seen it, they wouldn't really feel that way anymore because she really truly does capture the essence of Ariel. I just think it's like, I mean, this is a whole nother thing, but you know, some people are getting on Disney, like you're, you're too woke. You're going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're pushing all this, but really like this the fact why, that yeah. the fact that people are going to like such an extreme is just so disappointing. Yeah. It's fan, yeah. it's giving fan behavior, honestly. Like they're just a little too invested in it to like, like if you didn't care about the success of this movie, leave it alone. They won't make any more like this. Just like, without with people putting so much energy into their hatred it's actually giving more of a spotlight uh-huh. on it and so people are becoming so there's more buzz about it in the media and then people who actually would want to enjoy this movie are hearing about it and like oh you know what I, mm. this is, sounds like something that i actually might want to see and it's actually it's doing really good mm. numbers right now so all the people that i have are so determined to hate this are actually contributing to its success quite honestly uh, it's kind of bizarre like why i kind of refer to this as a, a glitch in the matrix because it it does show a very positive audience score on oh. ron tomato well ron tomatoes yeah, has, has yeah. a bit more of a screening process for its audience reviews mm-hmm. i think Whereas other sites like IMDb, you can just throw up a rating. Um, although it is sort of aggregated at a 7.0 IMDb rating. So they must have some way of filtering out trolls. Um, 7.0, mm-hmm. that's not too bad. No, uh, and I mean, there are people probably out there who, you know, have a critical eye and there were things they didn't like that have nothing to do with race. So, and, and those, oh, those sure. are valid. Yeah. Like you can have concerns, but I just feel like anyone who's still just trying to pull that it's like it's 2023 like like, truly like get in or like just get out of like society and obviously you don't want to shut everyone down but like the racist remarks were really out of control I mean yeah yuck yuck well if anyone who's actually seen it would know that she was born to be Ariel (laughs) A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I don't mm-hmm. see how anyone would find Halle Bailey unattractive in any sense. Uh, no, she's, yeah, she's phenomenal. She's phenomenal. She's stunning. Talent. So stunning. And truly like, I don't know if they've ever done a side by side with the animation, but the, the, the looks with the eyes and sort of like the turn yes. of the head and the way she plays with the fish. It's just this yes. cutesy. It's a very princessy person and while Mm -hmm. i don't think necessarily in our market we will see a ton of requests for her for birthdays or whatever i do think the kids that love her are gonna really really love her the merch is adorable the merch for her is amazing oh yeah even the kids i have the funko pop with me somewhere where'd i go have these books yeah even the kids that are too young like they might not go to the movie but they're gonna see the books they're gonna see whatever it's a great thing i mean there's what like three princesses like tiana mulan jasmine pocahontas like we need more like diversity and i i mean like i said i was ready to be super critical of this one because it's my favorite but Mm. i couldn't find a single thing wrong with this girl so well Uh, that's a bummer that's bad news for you guys to tell me that uh, that's what the reviews are about yeah as americans maybe we can take this opportunity to toot our own horn a bit because i think we're on a bit more of the accepting side (laughs) when it comes to this Whereas I I feel like maybe in European countries, because it's, you know, uh, more part of their culture, you know, this story, The Little Mermaid, whatever, it's a Danish 
uh, classic, maybe they're more sensitive to that or, uh, and of course the elephant in the room, whenever you have black characters or leads, um, trying to open a movie in, you know, especially like Asia or, uh, China, it's, it mm -hmm. can be really rough because unfortunately there's just still pretty stark racism in, in China, especially, I know just based on, you know, the way they edit the posters for major Hollywood blockbusters for the Chinese releases. And, and this movie is performing just abysmally, I think in China, it is, it, even oh, though wow. it was released there. Yeah, that's what I heard. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a bummer because if anything should be exposed to this movie, like magic of worlds coming together, like that's the whole story, like these worlds coming together. I mean, we, I know there's already been so much dialogue about it, but I, I wonder when they were casting, I feel like you might know, were they seeking specifically a black, you know, performer to come in or were they open to all races or, or did you, do you know if that was the plan going into this one? Kind of. So they really had this idea in mind of like, when we see Ariel, we'll mm -hmm. know it's her. So that was kind of like, you know, the way that they wanted to cast of like, when we hear her voice, we will know it's her. And they, I think Rob Marshall had seen Chloe and Hallie perform. I want to say it was at the Grammys or it was at an event or something. And he heard Hallie in particular, she had kind of these soaring soprano harmonies with her sister. And he was like, this is a beautiful voice. And quite honestly, I think we should bring her in to, to audition for Ariel. And they brought her in and she really like didn't consider herself at first for it. She was like, oh, they're bringing me to do The Little Mermaid. This is really interesting. And she sang it and they all cried at her audition of, because of how beautiful she sang. And she was worried at first. She was like, did I mess up? <laughs> she didn't know how to interpret those tears. Um, but no, she did an incredible job. And she was the first person that they saw out of everybody for this audition. And they they did end up seeing a couple people more, but um, or actually quite a bit is what Rob said, because he wasn't sure. He was like, he had Hallie in mind. And he was like, okay, if anyone comes in and tops her, sure. But like, she is front of but mind. But casting right was now. like so open. They, it wasn't like, we're specifically looking for a yeah, black girl to yeah. perform Ariel. Okay. They saw all sorts of people. They saw, I don't know names specifically, but I know that Rob Marshall had specified that they saw lots of different looks for Ariel of different ethnicities, all sorts. And nobody came up to Hallie. Like nobody nobody's performance reached hers so they went with their gut and they cast the first person that they saw that that really impressed them so so yeah I I know when this was first announced a lot of people there was a lot of buzz about Zendaya mm. possibly mm -hmm. being Ariel I had heard that a lot um and I wonder how that would have been and she is already quite mm -hmm. a big name I, I like that they went with somebody who isn't already a star and this is kind of making her she's a star a now honey star. like she is she's a star a huge star She's going to be in so much. She's already, she's filmed The Color Purple that's coming out at Christmas. Oh, she's a yeah. busy girl. Good yeah, for her. She's booked, booked and yes. blessed. Absolutely. So, so, Laura, so I love that for her. You've interacted with her, right? I want to hear. Oh, yeah. yeah. I actually have. Let me pull this out. She made me this bracelet what? right here. What? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so when she was filming at Pinewood Studios in London in 2021, all the scenes that were like the underwater scenes. So she made a little Etsy store where she was making you know, little knickknacks and jewelry. And I immediately was like, I'm going to put an order in, like, <laughs> just to see what happens. 
And she like sent me a message about like what colors I wanted in my bracelet. And she's like, I'm going to make you the most beautiful mermaid bracelet. And it was the coolest (laughs) thing. And so I got this package from her and I, and I have like her autograph on a card. She said like, thank you for your order. It was the cutest thing. And I, you know, I, I got this and I didn't really like hype it up when it happened because a lot of people weren't following this production as closely. I was like seeing all the leaks when they happened. Like I just was so in it. I wanted to see every single thing as it happened so so no yeah. I refused to look at anything or listen to anything I was like I need to go in blind because I'm not letting anyone ruin my like big first time so we, we were the opposite I couldn't do it I really <laughs> for most other things I go into it and I'm like I don't want to see the trailers I don't want to see nothing the only thing is I didn't listen to the soundtrack ahead of time which was for the best quite honestly because with the new songs I really wanted to go in completely fresh and I love that because especially with for the first time, it's just becoming a classic in my heart. I really love that song and that whole sequence. And um, and especially like that song reminded me a lot of uh, Waiting for Life from Once on This Island, which is also a Caribbean take on The Little Mermaid. So that's a really fun little connection there. Um, and, you know, a lot of people were wondering with the new songs, they're like, why couldn't they just use the Broadway song? That was one of my questions. Because they yes. have very similar moments. But the the reason is because on Broadway, they had another lyricist come in, Glenn Slater, who wrote the lyrics for these new songs like Her Voice and Beyond My Wildest Dreams, etc. with Alan Menken. But I don't think he was asked to be involved in this film. So his work wasn't cleared for use in this new film. So it makes sense. They just couldn't use it. So they created new moments that were, I guess, analogous to those moments, but also from a different perspective or a different lens, like... For the first time, I think is more of Ariel just sort of like adjusting to land and not just being like, oh, what's this? What's that? <laughs> what's this? Um, what's and this? Um, that's what that's what how Beyond My Wildest Dreams feels to me in a way. I, it didn't feel completely in character for me personally, but but for, for the first time felt a lot more in character with Ariel. And then her, um, her voice versus um, Wild Uncharted Waters, I think Wild Uncharted Waters helps us see more of Eric's personality and like what he's interested in and like his connection to to Ariel being you know rooted in him also wanting to visit wild uncharted waters beyond the shore and whatnot so so yeah I I think that it's a good job with creating these these new moments out of that also saying in places that uh saying in the Broadway score but in a, a new way yeah um you know, when I, I brought up the cutting of animation, you know, by Jeffrey Katzenberg, I, I was going to mention that there had been precedent for that because that's precisely what he did with uh, the Black Cauldron. <laughs> uh, oh, cut yeah. out, mm-hmm. You know, lar- significant sequences of already completed animation in that film. So it's like he, he did mean business. Um, but, you know, thankfully, yeah, I mean, the genius of Howard Ashman cannot be suppressed. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. And one thing about a, a little tangent about Howard that I just wanted to bring up. So before around the time that the soundtrack dropped for this, they announced that the Howard documentary was going to be taken off. That's of right. Plus, and I could not believe the horrible optics in that, in that, you know, it's almost Pride Month. Um, the movie, the new movie based on his work is about to drop. The new soundtrack had just dropped. It just felt like really like a slap in the face to his legacy. And I think a lot of us made enough of a big stink of it online that 
they actually retracted their decision and they said, oh, it was never actually supposed to be in consideration, huh. even <laughs> though I think the reason why it was in consideration was because it wasn't pulling enough numbers, which is so weird. Everybody goes stream Howard on Disney Plus, so they don't think about bafflingly removing it again. But, you know, I, I went and I rewatched that kind of gearing up for this film. And I really do think that, and especially I'm so glad that they did include a dedication to him at the very end as well. It's honestly the least that they could do. So I was really appreciative of that. And I think this film really does further his legacy in new ways and exposes people to his work that and, and to who he is. I think a lot of people might have seen his name in the credits and not really known who he was and might, you know, look him up and see just all the things that he's contributed to not only The Little Mermaid, his legacy, but to yeah, and stories, musical storytelling and as a whole. So yeah, I just I appreciated that. Yeah. Um what else here? Um, I think that he, there was a dedication to him for in Beauty and the Beast as well. Yeah, just a very that one makes uh, me cry every time I see um, it. Well, Ugh. well, the original Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, he because he died before that film's release, right? And and he even mm -hmm. did music for. Yeah, it was ama amazing the legacy and the impact. Uh, you know, despite the uh, few films that he actually did work on for Disney. Uh, but he also did what a little little shop of horrors. Um, what was the? Yeah, yeah, with what Alan. Was the... yep. And then he. So it's interesting. So he was the director and lyricist of a musical that was on Broadway called yeah. Smile, and Jody Benson was in that. And it didn't last very long, unfortunately. Um, but as kind of consolation for it not lasting very long, he had all of the girls from Smile audition to be Ariel, and Jody was one of them, and she got the part. So, you know, we all, it's just a really cool full circle, like, like, you know, when one door closes, another swims mm -hmm. your way in one way or another. Uh, crazy, the whole politics of removing stuff from these streaming services now we're seeing. And I guess when it comes to like having to dole out residuals and, you know, there, there are expenses mm -hmm. associated with actually having content active on the streaming service, but I'm hoping they can sort of clarify that, you know, some of these things are maybe just going to be rotating kind of on and off or, or are they just going to vanish forever because they didn't garner enough attention and, and it's assumed that nobody cares enough about some of these things that they're just lost for forever apart from you know potentially pirating them if you so desire uh but like i i caught up with one uh show that i had started and and had seen most of that was the world according to jeff goldblum but i made sure to finish yeah. that before that totally went away uh, but I, I mean, that one was like one of the ones they were advertising during the launch. And so right, are they going right. to bring it back? Yeah. What's the what's the deal? <laughs> Sell, give us a Blu-ray or Who something. You know? <laughs> I'm also curious, have they announced when this movie is going to be on Disney Plus? I haven't heard, I haven't heard either. About... Mm, yeah. yeah, it could. Maybe they're going to try to wait a while. I kind help. of hope yeah. they do because I, I feel like people need to get back to the theaters. I know it's so expensive and I know it's difficult when you have children, but there's something about it. I feel like I've said a thousand times, but the community of watching a movie yeah. with others. So I kind of hope they give it a second before they put it on the streaming. For sure. Not that I don't want everyone to have access. I think that's super important, but like maybe like try to go to like the $5 matinee and give it a shot if you can. Yeah. yeah Some yeah. upcoming Films from Disney uh, in June. Wish. 
Oh, oh well, I, I did see a trailer for oh, that for yeah. the first time. Yeah, I haven't yet. I did. I oh, they they showed it at my showing, and I was like, "Ooh, Chris Pine is in this." I didn't I didn't know that going into it, but Ariana DeBose playing Asha, and it being this kind of musical fantasy. Love yeah. to see it. I'm very excited about that, that one. Star character looked a lot like the star from Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> I thought kind of. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, incidentally, yeah. Weird. Uh, but the uh, um, we got Elemental coming. Uh, from Pixar. Mm-hmm, uh, I saw the trailer for that and I think that that is the brightness I love. Like I, I'm not a I'm not a Pixar person, but I think that one looks really fun. Like just the colors. Oh yeah. And Dr. Jones, Indiana Jones, uh and the yes. Dial of Destiny. So uh maybe hear some discussion of those on upcoming episodes um yeah i i know we recently um you know my my brother-in-law and i recorded on guardians of the galaxy so that episode is up now it just uh, guardians dropped. Of galaxy three yep yep it popped up in my podcast Yay. thing today and i was like oh man like that next time i have a drive i'm gonna listen even though i'm not a guardians person that's good that Dawson got to hop in on it, but Our, uh, brother-in-law Elliot. Oh, uh, in Elliot! LA. Yeah, ah, yeah, an Elliot, a uh, very beautiful name. Samara's husband, yeah. Um, so that was really, really fun. I really enjoyed that movie. I thought like some of the animal visual effects, like the uh, the characters um, that are you know just CGI renditions of real animals. Uh, I mean, they've kind of been experimented on, so there, there's a little bit of, um, you know, uh, uncanniness, flexibility, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> intentionally. But, but like they're so expressive, and it's just the the animal faces that they're able to manipulate and give, you know, these characterizations uh, that I feel like, you know, if going forward, people complain about how kind of um, unexpressive the characters in the the Lion King remake was but clearly it can be done to have them look realistic and also um you know compelling and uh interesting fairy tale yeah, yeah. Hmm. So, i don't know um anything else we want to discuss vis-a-vis the little mermaid i feel like this was such an anticipated movie and it is something that i would love to like talk about forever but i feel like we covered the basis of my favorite parts my least favorite parts and like I hope we've conveyed that this is definitely one you should see in theaters if you can. If you've made it this far in the the podcast, book your tickets because honestly, theaters are filling up and and it's a good one to watch. Yeah. Yeah. If you can see it in IMAX, definitely go for that. And also with like the Dolby Atmos as well. That was a really cool addition to kind of getting that like sound that you can feel. Yes, they have such good orchestration Um, with this one. That's actually a really good point. I think I'm going to have to splurge because the symphonic works, even with just a normal theater was amazing. So I'd be curious to hear it surrounding me. Yeah. Excellent new orchestrations, like for the storm sequence and everything. I, I really enjoyed hearing them and feeling them (laughs) um rest in peace to pat carroll she passed away last year but you know they'll always need an ursula voice in the the parks and such and i feel like Mm -hmm. if melissa mccarthy's willing she could totally do it i thought she did a good job doubling the voice but giving it her own spin fortunately you know it wasn't just her trying to do a perfect imitation but if she wanted to i think she could pull off a convincing animated ursula I was that impressed with the performance. 
Yeah, I'm excited to see the legacy of this in the parks because we now have the character. I'm hoping to see, you know, if Voyage of the Little Mermaid ever comes back, if they ever wanted to revamp that show with this new Ariel, I think it would be really cool and breathe some new life into it because that show has been around forever and definitely needs an upgrade. And unfortunately, the theater has black mold and is not coming bouncing back anytime soon unfortunately oh. so is there any uh, word of yeah. if they're going to I remember I had seen it before they shut down is there any word if they are considering something oh, okay I was like are you hinting at some nothing. hot gossip yeah I know I know nothing at I, this point but that's just I what would I would like to see, to see that too yeah. and I know that remakes don't typically get sequels but I would say if there was a remake that I think could take one because I am curious what Eric and Ariel's like merging of the kingdoms and adventures could look like. This is one where I wouldn't be like totally opposed compared to the other remakes. I was like, eh, we never need a sequel, but this one, they wouldn't have to follow the script of the sequel. Little Mermaid. And yeah. I would be, I would be very curious to know more about their love story and their journey, especially with the myth mythological element coming into it. So yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to see there, if there's more to it. Yeah, there there were a few like vague announcements of maybe projects in development that were spin-offs of some of the other um remakes, live action remakes, but I I think for the most part these are a one and done type of thing. Yeah, uh, I think so too. So much of the mm -hmm. hype surrounding them is just based on the um familiarity people have with the originals. However, you, you know, with that um whole um companion book you know they had they have the material to work with to really expand out this uh telling of the little mermaid story so i mean totally go for it if they so you know feel like it makes sense uh, economically to do so to make a sequel or a spin-off maybe a, or a, a mini series a series because yeah. yes, they, they're doing series. that with Tiana's Absolutely. movie. They did that with Tangled. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I feel like those Disney Plus miniseries, they have a lot of heart and soul in them. And maybe they do kind of take this version of Ariel and make, but, I mean, there yeah. was there was a miniseries with the original. I loved it. I loved, <laughs> right. it. I loved it. Yes. But, you know, kind of bring that, that back. And then, you know, that would bring in the, the kid element even more yeah. too. I had heard there was a development of a show on Disney Junior called Ariel, and I don't know if it is for 1989 Ariel or 2023 Ariel, but that is something that has the, the patent or something, the copyright has been put out for uh, Disney Junior. So maybe we'll get to see, I guess for the, the youngest kiddos, they'll get to see a continuation of, of this story in some new way. I was halfway expecting a post credit scene showing Ursula still... <laughs> you know surviving the uh the battle at the end oh. um i didn't stay to the end of the credits i had somewhere i had to be but i i asked you lauren you said there wasn't so i was kind of like 50 50 on whether they, they might do a tease like that at the end uh, <laughs> little tentacle <laughs> yeah. rising from, oh. from the, this, the wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that would that would be funny yeah but, maybe she'll get a prequel film or something like a cruella moment yeah, no, very, very fun. Uh, I, I do like Melissa McCarthy. She's, uh, she's definitely one of a kind. So I was, uh, I was happy, you know, I think, yeah, some, sometimes you hear these casting announcements and it's like, oh, can I really see this person performing this role? But no, she nailed it. Um, all right. Well, kind of surprising how effective this, you know, adaptation of an adaptation, you know, this <laughs> the Little Mermaid 
sort of uh, trying to recapture the magic of the 1989 Disney animated classic. Uh, however, it is it is a good sort of community building exercise as well, just bu building up the celebration, really, of these characters, these songs, uh, this fandom. Um, so, I, I, you know, that that's kind of a, a really cool piece of these films that shouldn't be overlooked. Um, so I'm, I'm glad, you know, Lar, that, that you had a, a good sort of community bonding experience in the lead up to this film. And, uh, you know, we do things like conventions and fan clubs surrounding the, the Disney properties and, you know, releasing a, a film or some kind of new, you know, big um, spectacle you know, there's the theme park attractions and, and all these different avenues in which we can really kind of express the uh, affection that there is for, for these things. And uh, this this seemed like an appropriate um, tribute to the, the Little Mermaid film from Disney Animation. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that um, that there was an opportunity to really kind of uh, celebrate here now 34 years after that uh, original film just made such a splash <laughs> pun intended exactly yeah <laughs> all right well uh yeah um so so laura any final thoughts or, or uh, social media you want to share yeah, if you want to see more mermaid content from me, you can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Lara Akal, L-A-R-A-A-K-A-L. Lots of mer things to do there. Lots of Disney musicals. All the fun things, all the best things. And you recently were in Disneyland <laughs> too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jody, yeah. Any any final thoughts for social media? Yeah, lately the social media has been TikTok for me as well, which is Jody J O D I Pulaski P O L A S K Y, and I think it's like forty seven. But right. I will correct myself next time I hop on here. Otherwise, you'll find me here hopefully really soon. I'm I'm excited about the upcoming movies, and I really hope we can squeeze in the Barbie movie this summer. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean uh, I know y'all have been <laughs> excited for that. So anything that piques our interest we are, we're liable to cover on the podcast i know you know conversations about animation but they, they, there's multiple definitions of animation and sometimes it's just the things that animate us to uh want to have these kinds of fun little uh get togethers via zoom and and just sort of riff on on some of these fun topics you know like the barbie movie or like uh I don't know, maybe even we'll do Oppenheimer, you know, the new Christopher Nolan. Oh, film. yeah, really there's exciting. a lot of hype yeah. around that one, too. I would say Little Mermaid, Barbie and Oppenheimer have gotten the most buzz yeah. of things coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun yeah. Stuff. All right. Well, thank you both so much. Uh, Laura Call, Jody Plasky. I've been Philip Elke. You can find me at Philip Elke on Twitter and Instagram. You can find the Thodcast at Thodcast.com, at Thodcast on Twitter and Instagram. Um, streaming all over. We, these are hosted on SoundCloud, but you know, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, uh, I think Amazon Music. Uh, so yeah, um, check out the Thodcast and give us a follow. Follow uh, positive rating would be very helpful. Um, yeah, and, no uh, <laughs> rating bombers. <laughs> don't yeah. don't review bomb. We were watching uh, you. If you're gonna review bomb, uh, throw us a five. <laughs> 
or uh, you know, if you want to review um, the Little Mermaid, uh, you know, throw it a tenner, throw it a tenner yeah. on the IMDb. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks so much uh, for Laura and Jody. Um, you all have a, a, one, a magical day and then a wonderful week. <laughs> Warm hugs, everybody. Oh.